You're listening to Geek Girl Meets. Hi, and welcome to Geek Girl Meets. You know us by now. We are the podcast that sits down with an awesome woman in tech or woman in business, and sometimes just generally a woman in STEM, or potentially one of my girl crushes, to find out more about her, her career and basically pass over some really awesome advice to you at home. And today I'm joined by Lauren Ingram, who is marketing manager for 360i Europe. And because she has quite a few side hustles, she is the founder of Power Suit Social. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to have you here. Now, Lauren and I have crossed paths numerous times in the tech PR advertising, media, marketing, whatever you want to call it, world over the last few years. And a couple of months ago, we actually sat on the same panel where we were talking about personal branding. And we started, I started talking about the podcast. And actually, subsequently from that, you kind of had a little idea in your own head to start a podcast of your own, which we will talk about more later. But just to to start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your day job at 360i? And then a little bit more about PowerSuit Social. So I head up marketing and PR for 360i. Uh, we're a full-service digital agency based on Tottenham Court Road. And it's my job to, to tell people what we do and who we do it for. So we offer data-driven creativity for clients like Burger King, Lidl, Norwegian Airlines, TSB. Uh, some quite progressive, interesting brands that I've wanted to work with quite quite a long time actually it's a role where I'm kind of inward and outward facing at the same time so I run all of our internal communications for the agency there's about 150 people based at our office and about another 100 that work remotely do all of our internal comms but also it's my job to approach the press and manage our website any kind of channel that represents us as a business is my job to look after that kind of make sure that we're on message in terms of how we talk about ourselves in a consistent way as for PowerSuit Social, that's something that I started about this time last year, actually. It's a creative network. It's all 1980s branded, and it's mostly events about the future of the creative industries. So the reason I started it was I felt like there were lots of macro, including sort of macroeconomic changes, things that are out of our control, like um, the election of Trump and Brexit and lots of scary things that I don't always like to think about. Yeah. And those do actually have a direct impact on what I work in, you know, working in the creative industries, those do have an impact. So things like clients have been pulling budgets in the last year or so. Mm -hmm. There've been a few sort of scandals in digital advertising and basically big changes that mean that we have to be a bit more future facing. And I wanted to get a group of experts together kind of in a safe forum to talk about where we think things are going. And then the reason it's 1980s branded, that's because I feel like we're living in fairly uncertain times at the moment and I feel like there are parallels with the early 80s in that respect but it's also it's a little bit of a gimmick in a you know in a fun way I want people to know that it's an informal place to talk about this sort of thing so it's like let's discuss some serious topics that really do affect us but over a glass of wine and in a yeah more informal environment have a bit of fun with it basically big bushy hair if needed exactly yes good (laughs) (laughs) so before we delve deeper into your career to date, what was it that you wanted to be when you were little, Lauren? Embarrassingly, the first thing I wanted to be when I was, this was, about, I was about five or six years old, I wanted to be a servant. I have many questions now. Okay, <laughs> so why did you, why do you think you wanted to be a servant? And when I, you say servant, like, did you imagine that you would literally be waiting on aristocracy? I don't think I knew that word at that age, but 
I definitely wanted to serve tea because <laughs> I really enjoyed serving like pretend pretending to serve tea and coffee to my teddy bears and to my parents oh that's so sweet uh, <laughs> and it's also slightly embarrassing because it's just sort of very obvious as an only child and uh you know that was that was my way of interacting was with my teddies oh um, but uh, yeah I have this quite sweet piece of paper that my godmother has framed on her kitchen wall that says like my name is Lauren and I want to be a ser- servant when I grow up <laughs> that's really sweet <laughs> okay well then I have to ask that in terms of the career moving forward did you ever have one of those jobs that you know we sometimes hear of when you go into the PR advertising world were you at that rank that had to do the tea or coffee in the meeting room ready for the important client to be honest, not really. I mean, oh, I, I lucky. Did, I, did, I did start off with an internship, but I don't think I ever, that wasn't necessarily what was the expectation. That's good. Which is lucky. Yeah, it's always one of those things you're kind of told. Like, I remember when I was at university and thinking about going into the media world, but specifically like television and production, it was, oh, you have to start as a runner and you'll be the one that just makes tea. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. And obviously I didn't stick with that for very long at all because I didn't want to just make tea for people. No, yeah, of course not. But, you know, I just wondered if you'd ever ever had the parallel of what you wanted to be when you were little. So when, where did you go from there? So after wanting to be a servant? After wanting to be a servant, I, I really wanted to run my own hotel or restaurant. This is when I was about 11 or 12. Not, I, I don't know where that idea came from. It must have been something that I'd seen on TV or in a film or somebody I know. There would have been a reason that I got a bit obsessed with being a restaurateur mm-hmm. or a hotel owner. And so it drew endless pictures of these hotels and restaurants I was going to run. Then I wanted to be a fashion designer. I think I think basically as soon as I learned the word entrepreneur, I just thought, like, that sounds really exciting. I want to do that. So, um, yeah, I do also have a, a lot of uh, horrendous diagrams of my fashion designs when I was about, yeah, about, about 12 and kind of lilac flares and these horrible flowery tops and things that I would be glad to never see again. Yeah. But you kind of you might look at them at some point in the future and look back and go. Oh. <laughs> I think it's nice. I think it's nice. My mum's still got one of those huge collections of like old school workbooks and things from when you're like five and it's cute. And then you're kind of like, why have you still got my GCSE work? That's a bit bit weird. I think that one can probably be burnt. But never mind. <laughs> well, I digress. I think doing diagrams like that was what led me to be told that I was creative. Mm-hmm. So my teachers and other people I knew were telling me you should work in something creative I just wasn't sure exactly what but I guess I'm I guess I'm glad that was given that kind of direction but I also didn't really know what it meant yes so kind of you know what does it what does it mean to be creative and what does it mean to to write that writing was something I was really interested in when I was younger like I won an award for it at school <laughs> so um I've, I've still ended up writing quite a lot as an adult as well I've done quite a lot of ghostwriting, copywriting and then also writing my own articles for a few places like The Guardian and Vice and a handful of places. So that's really cool. So you're giving away spoilers now about your career. So we, we've kind of gone from wanting to be a hotel owner, restaurateur, fashion designer, being told that you were creative, but not necessarily understanding what it is that that means. What did you then go on to kind of study? So so let's talk through university and then let's get through the career to date and, you know, what led you to being in this room here with me. So where where did you study and what did you do? I studied linguistics with French at Sussex. I was always really interested in language. I think that came from my kind of interest in writing. I tended to be better at languages at school. And so, again, I just 
listened to what I was told I was good at and thought, well, might as well do that then. I really, really enjoyed languages actually and enjoyed hearing about the sort of history of language as to kind of where certain words came from, as, you know, etymology and studying foreign languages. So I did my, my year abroad in Toulouse in France, which I really enjoyed, although I um, did make the mistake of spending quite a lot of time with other English speakers. So if I were to go back and do my Erasmus year again, I would spend more time immersed only like exclusively amongst French people. Mm. I, I did live with two French girls and that that was really beneficial in terms of upping my language and just being more confident in it. After university, yeah, I w- wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I did apply for an, an internship in advertising, which I got. And I think if I hadn't got that, I, I actually don't know what I would have done instead. It just one of those things that just looked very exciting. It's called IPA Ad School. Went to work for an agency called Digitas. Digitas is a digital agency. Started off in agencies like that. Later, I moved on to do PR for tech startups. And now I've kind of come full circle doing PR for digital agencies. So I think there's a kind of nice little circular. Well, you, um, you've come full circle. Exactly. I've, I've come full circle. There's, there's something quite nice about that. And in terms of working in tech, I, I definitely thought it looked really exciting to work for these innovative young companies of yeah young founders people didn't weren't necessarily from that background that they were starting a business in but it looked like a yeah a really hot topic and an exciting place to be so I moved to Berlin in 2013 to kind of pursue that thinking essentially because I'd read an article in Wired magazine about why Berlin was one of the like hottest places for startups read this article about the sort of top 10 startups in Berlin and I applied to work. I, I applied to work for the one that was number one on their list. What was number one back in 2013? It's called Gidzy. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's a uh, yeah sort of travel and tourism startup. Interesting, actually. Airbnb now offers offers that as a product. Not you know, it's not Gidzy's product, but it's the same thing, which is being able to pay to do activities with locals to really get under skin under the skin of a place. Mm-hmm. So Airbnb was actually a, a sort of so like a brand partnership with Gidzy at the time, so this is 2013. Gidzy essentially went out of business. It got bought out by a much bigger sort of travel and tourism startup. So unfortunately, I, I was out of a job after that point. So kind of got burned for pursuing the shiny, exciting things. But I think that's okay. I think, you know, I, I took some risks because I wanted, I knew what I wanted to do and went, went off and chased those things. Ultimately, you know, didn't necessarily work out each time, but I'm not too worried about that. I don't feel like all of, all of it was a failure then. Well, you know, I learned German, lived in a new city, made some amazing new contacts. Weirdly enough, on my way here, I bumped into somebody who I haven't seen since we both lived in Berlin. Oh, wow. So it was really lovely to catch up with him. He said that he's very rarely in London, so it was quite nice to cross paths in Shoreditch. Yeah, that's massively serendipitous. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So how long were you in Berlin for? I was in Berlin for just under a year, worked for Gidzy, worked for Startup Bootcamp, which I really enjoyed, and worked for one of the startups that was on the programme, which was at that point called Baby Watch, and is now called Bella Beat, and they're really successful now, actually. They were in a time of time of change, like most startups are, mm-hmm. so um, they actually weren't able to pay me, which is slightly unfortunate, which is why I thought, actually, I think I'm going to start again, I'm going to move home to London and take what I saw as a more steady job. Sorry, it, it was a more steady job, which was working for a PR agency, doing PR for tech startups. And the thing about that that appealed to me was 
knowing that I'll get paid at the end of the month because a PR agency knows how it's how it monetizes. Yeah. So which agency were you working for when you came back to London? That was Clarity PR, mm-hmm. who I've stayed in touch with. So I, I knew them um, in Berlin because Lindsay Fryer, she was the editor of something called Venture Village at the time. Mm-hmm. She went to head up Clarity in Berlin. So that's how I sort of initially heard about them. So it all kind of came together that I was moving home and saw that Clarity were hiring about the same time and it all matched up as to, yeah, this is the right path for me, actually. I worked with a lot of very small brands, which which I really enjoyed. So, you know, some of them are still with us today, like Sleepio, they're known as Big Health. So they're still around today and doing really successfully. Other businesses that we worked with, you know, ultimately haven't then got on to get more investment and or have kind of changed form since then. And these things change very fast. So I, I finished working at Clarity in 2015. It just feels like some of some of our clients are almost unrecognisable since that point. That's only been two and a half years since I left. Well, that just shows just how quick everything changes, doesn't it? In this ecosystem, it's crazy. You know, the thing that I found amazing, but still kind of shocking in my head, the other week, TransferWise announced it's hired its 1,000th employee. And wow. the uh, the PR agency that I first started working in represented TransferWise when it was four people, maybe seven, not quite sure. Amazing. In London, it was tiny. They definitely had a team in Tallinn and we shared an office space with them. So I still remember this is only five years ago, TransferWise literally being a very small team in London working on the same space as me. And then like the other day, I just see this tweet like, we've hired a 1,000 employee. And you're just like, wow, wow, okay. <laughs> you are much bigger now. But it just shows like the the whole speed of the ecosystem that we work in. If you're successful, if you get that fundraising, if you're able to scale very, very, very quickly, then it's kind of just absolutely crazy and mind-blowing what can actually be achieved in a small small space of time, which is insane. But as you're saying, Clarity, so you were there till 2015. And then did you go straight to 360i from there? After Clarity, I ended up working in digital agencies because while I enjoyed working for a PR agency, I realised that the thing that I'm best at in terms of the environment I work in and the tasks that I'm doing makes a lot of sense for me to be doing PR for agencies. That was something that I resisted for quite a long time, actually, because I thought that working in tech would be what I find most fulfilling. I sometimes actually found it quite chaotic. I thought I would thrive on that kind of drama and excitement. And actually, it's not good for me in terms of how I work. So yeah, I just had some growing up to do, really, which is kind of realising maybe the thing that I'm excited by isn't going to be what's very productive for me in terms of how well I do my job or not. And so now I feel like I've finally found a sort of really happy mix of the type of people I work with and the office environment we have. So that, like I said, there's about 150 people. That's about the right level for me in terms of enough structure that I can sort of get what I need and still have enough freedom to do the things that I want to do and have like a certain amount of creative ownership over things. One of the things that appealed to me about 360i was that I felt like to an extent they feel like a tech company because they have quite a lot of progressive practices. So as well as having a creative tech offering, so they do a, th- a few things like augmented reality for clients, but as well as that, they, I would say they behave like a tech company in terms of the types of perks they offer or like the fact that we hot desk all the time, the fact that we've got unlimited holiday which is obviously a lovely perk to have. Yes, that's a great perk. I mean, you know, it means that I, I love working there and so do a lot of people. 
why would you leave somewhere that has Marla and Mrs. Holiday? <laughs> well, yeah, no, quite. I'm always quite jealous of people that have that. Says the person who runs her own business, I should just give myself unlimited holiday. But <laughs> this probably goes against the whole entrepreneurial dream. So obviously you're you're at 360i now, and outside of that, you are running Power Suit Social, which is your side hustle. Yeah. How did the 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 kind of the initial idea come about in terms of actually starting? Yeah. So it, a lot of my ideas come to me when I can't sleep on a Sunday night. Oh, we all have those. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a matter of going through with a random idea that I had on a sleepless Sunday night. I'm just kind of fretting. I was, I was actually partly wondering, would I even still have a job a year from now? It was a sort of question to myself. I, I think I can sort of freak myself out when I'm you know, having that insomniac moment. Yeah. But I was thinking, you know, I think I, I, think I actually really want to, act on this not just think wouldn't it be cool to have events about the future of the creative industries but like well, why don't I actually do this I know loads of amazing people across like creative sort of agencies tech magazines bring together some of the people that I admire the most and create connections with them myself and I realized you know why am I not doing this already and like need to make this happen and then with the 1980s thing like I say it's, it's a little bit of a gimmick but the 80s is something that I've always had this big love for that aesthetic so it's like giving myself a big opportunity to be really playful and yeah take ownership of that and put it in other people's lives as well because I didn't always feel like I had or like that anybody has permission to kind of put themselves out there in that way but I realized it doesn't matter if everybody else is you know starting brands or starting startups or generally putting their ideas out in the world Maybe I could be one of those people as well. Just a matter of being brave enough to do it. So I think, yeah, I think I had the idea on the Sunday, registered the domain name on the Tuesday, started contacting journalists on the Thursday with this kind of, to be honest, slightly half-baked idea. Well, that's not entirely true. I just filled about eight pages of my notebook with like, right, here's a list of speakers I'd really love to have on board. Here's a list of venues that I think I could get with things like startup offices like Moo for example I, I've been to a few events at Moo and now they're actually yeah a partner that I've had a couple of events there and that's been really successful so yeah a lot of the ideas I had on that first night have actually followed through yeah followed through on those yeah and I would say running a side hustle definitely time consuming so it's sometimes taken me away from socializing with friends and my boyfriend so but I also think for the same reason it's actually made me more efficient about how I do my job and how I manage my time so sometimes it, it you know, I, I am doing it in the evenings and on weekends, but actually if it's just replacing, if I was just going to be in front of the TV anyway, that's all right. As, you know, as long as I'm not burning out and sort of trying to make sure I'm not spinning too many plates at a time, I think a side hustle can be such a massive benefit for whatever your day job is. I think actually, regardless of whether it's something creative or tech or otherwise, having this outside stimulus to kind of keep you fresh all the time because it, yeah, it just means that you're coming into your office with a fresh pair of eyes because you know, I've learned things like how to make a podcast how to build a, an email list basically building a community of people inspired and passionate about the same sort of thing that's there's been so helpful in my day job as as a marketing manager to be able to kind of bring that into what I do so yeah it's been really helpful having 360i have my back with that kind of thing because I think initially they were kind of wondering why I'm spending my time doing something that's not my job, but obviously I'm not, not doing that 
at work, yeah. not doing that in the office. But now they kind of get it. And there's, you know, there's also a lot of crossover with what we do. And so it feels like a sort of exciting, you know, partnership opportunity. And hopefully, you know, it feels to me like it's good for both parties. But I genuinely am I'm so much more focused and driven at work now because I've got something else that I'm focused and driven on, driven about in my spare time as well. Yeah. It's always nice when you have the ability to do a side hustle that runs complementary to the day job. I think that for some people can be one of the biggest fears. It's the like, I've, you know, you have an idea within you or there's something that you want to achieve. It's not necessarily a business. It's not going alone or becoming a freelancer, but it's something that you're super passionate about. And one of the, the blockers can be work. I mean, ultimately, sometimes it comes down to what's written in your contract or it's just having a conversation with the employer to make sure that they're all OK with it and it's above board. But just getting over that first hurdle, if you've got the support of the company that you work for, that's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So the other big fear, of course, with side hustles is time. And as you said, it's finding that balance between being productive, keeping all of the plates spinning and not burning out which is hard because I, I often find that I've burnt out so many times from multiple different side hustles that will end up kind of happening at once and converging. And, and it's because I instinctively want to say yes yeah, to same. lots of things. Same. Yeah. And it's because you're passionate about what you do. And if there's something that comes along that is part of that, then it's just kind of like, yes, yes, yes. Oh no, I broke myself again. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> that was bad. So how, you know, any tips for someone out there right now who is thinking of starting something or is already managing a couple of different side hustles or it's just a hustle, anything or any advice that you would give to them in terms of actually, you know, managing your time and making sure that you're still looking after numero uno? Yeah, I would say having a certain time and space for your side hustle versus your work is actually really important just because it means you can box that off in your head. So if I'm at the office working, I'm only doing my work emails, my work meetings, everything 360i related. And that's, yeah, during the day. So we work 9 to 5.30, well, yeah, 6. And um, I'm exclusively doing that there in that office. My breakfast and lunch times and sort of after school kind of time, I'm not going to be in the office. I you know, will deliberately take myself out for lunch somewhere else to do replies to parasuit social emails to kind of yeah I put myself in that other headspace by physically moving my space so I also recently joined the Albright which is a women's only members club and I think that's going to be really good for again having that separate space to do a different thing where I can be doing something other than 360i emails for that kind of I don't know 45 minute window at lunchtime and I think it's really important actually having dedicated you time I think it's really important having dedicated me time in the space of my day where I can do what I want with that. Yeah. No, I, I, I 100% agree. I, you were, you saw me. I've injured myself from my me time today. <laughs> Bless. I met Lauren and I was hobbling somewhat because I decided at lunchtime I was going to go off on a training run for a half marathon, claiming back some me time. Which was which was really, really good up until about the second mile. And now my ITB band is hating me and I'm limping like a, oh, I just look ridiculous. Anyway, I'll look <laughs> worse tomorrow morning as well. It will all get worse before it gets better. But, you know, you, you are right in saying it's making sure that you have me time, you time, I time, 
and the, and and then balancing what that time is because the other thing is is you you should definitely have that time but you can't have that time be hustle time all the time well i think i'm making that mistake at the moment which is that i'm not always having relaxy time okay and actually even worse than that if i do make time to relax i sometimes get really fidgety and i'm thinking well i need to be doing something productive if you know if i'm if i've got a free saturday daytime then i either need to be yeah working on my side hustle or going to a gallery or making sure i see my friends it's like that actually it's okay to chill out and have a duvet day if i want to (laughs) yeah it is i have the same problem by the way my boyfriend would tell you this as well it's the you know even if we have the duvet day or the the couch day suddenly it's the oh the flat really needs to be cleaned or something and it's yeah i'm really bad at the sitting down and actually just being like you know what just just turn on jessica jones on netflix and just (laughs) mong out for four hours and just binge watch it or something and just let your brain rest yeah but yeah, it's, it's one of those things I think, you know, you, I think one of the problems you can probably take is if you have that entrepreneurial spirit or entrepreneurial spirit and you are passionate about something, it's really hard to stop. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because you find that your mind is kind of ticking away constantly and like, oh, I could do that actually. And like, oh, why don't I ping off an email to ask so-and-so if they want to do this together? Or oh, what about, you know, would that be a good brand partnership? And this could be a fun opportunity. You're like, Oh shit! I haven't got, <laughs> I haven't got back to that person yet, and uh, so just yeah, always kind of buzzing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed in your email signature it said that you might have uh, typos induced by <laughs> caffeine. Yes, yeah, my uh, my on the fly message is um, typos likely induced by caffeine, by caffeine, too much caffeine. <laughs> but you can probably tell I've had quite a few caffeines today as well. It's you know it's it's one of those things I just that you sometimes you do have that day or I find I have that day where you are you don't even realize by the end of the day that you're actually running on empty Mm. and you've been keeping yourself perked up with coffee or something or sugar and yeah so I have had to actually adapt that and add that to my email signature (laughs) just in case I've only realized recently that um so I love sweets and chocolate and all the things that you're not meant to eat but I hadn't realized until probably the last six months actually that if I have a lot of sweets, I have such a horrendous sugar crash. Yeah. I'm just really horrible to people. And uh, so I find that's the only thing that's managed to moderate me eating crap food is realizing that actually changes my behavior and kind of going, oh, well, actually, I don't want to be really ratty with people. So maybe I won't have that like half bag of Haribo. That's the only thing that's held me back. That's a good that's a good thing to hold you back. <laughs> I, I have to do extremes in order to curb that kind of stuff it's either I can have it or I can't have it and if I can't have it it means that I'm doing one of my vegan stints and if I've gone vegan I can't eat any of it <laughs> apart from one thing <laughs> actually there's two things skittles which I'm not I could eat a few of and I'm, I'm kind of like I can't get through a bag that's fine skittles are vegan yeah skittles are vegan veggie percy pigs from Marks and Spencers I love those oh my god I love them so much but if I get a packet it's gone <laughs> I've um I've actually previously tweeted M&S to say please can you make small bags of Percy pigs because I have no self-control. <laughs> so they've been innovating away on these Percy pigs, like veggie Percy's and fizzy pigtails. And like, there's probably about eight or nine different versions. Percy has a girlfriend now, doesn't he, as well? There's, no, there's, a, there's a female pig. Yeah. But there's a, they've, they've just rolled out all these different versions of the product. And I'm like, why don't you innovate by making smaller bags that people would buy you know as individuals and they want to eat the whole thing because if i buy a large packet 
I eat the whole thing of that. And then, like I say, I'm really rude to people afterwards. I mean, you could make it, you know, small Percy packet designed for small people, aka kids, and then you would help all of us adults that just really need to curb the amount of Percy pigs that we smash down in one go. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the problem is I get through a small packet and then I'd be like, disappointed. (laughs) I've run out of Percy. Anyway, digress by talking about sugar. <laughs> so what are, what's one of the big things that inspires you? Now you already you already kind of dropped something in there which is about where how you would spend a Saturday if you weren't hustling, if you're not you know, it might be with friends, but if you're not with friends, if you've not got plans or you're refusing to actually take that duvet day. <laughs> yeah. Um it probably is galleries and museums to be honest. That's something I mentioned beforehand is artgasms or <laughs> It's a bit of a funny term, but I mean, like, when you fully immerse yourself in, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, an art gallery, but something that you get so into, whether it's, yeah, film or art or anything, to the point that you suddenly get this, like, pinging feeling of suddenly you're full of ideas and full of excitement. You don't even know where it's come from, necessarily. It might not have been, I don't know, one particular painting or one particular scene in a film, but suddenly you're just like, yeah, brimming with energy and ideas and kind of like oh I've got to I've got to write this stuff down and got to go and do this and really want to take a photo of that and just um this this basically a, a bit of a high that you get from immersing yourself in that type of thing that yeah that's what I find really re- rewarding so I, you know I am I am interested to sort of look at new artists and things like that but I <laughs> I really enjoy looking at oil paintings that's I don't know it's where I get my kicks it's interesting I've never I've, I I know people love art I'm kind of a bit indifferent to art I've just never naturally been drawn to it whereas my my little sister she she studied art history and she just you know loves it I for me my artgasm I love that word I could use that so much now my artgasm would be it would probably be what I read or what Mm. I watch so like film film tv short videos anything super crazy even adverts to a degree like if there's something that's you know super aesthetically pleasing or drives your emotions that for me would probably be the the trigger point yeah definitely yeah I'm the same with with books that um I just find if I'm really enjoying a book I cannot stop talking about it to other people it's probably really annoying but I just yeah get so excited about either what I've learned by reading it or what I've learned about myself as a result is that you know it's kind of shining a light on some of your own behavior and kind of going oh my god that's that's exactly why I'm doing that or like that's some, something I totally identify with or, or I don't know, that's something my friend used to do when we were little or whatever it is and just kind of suddenly things fall into place in your head and like I say I just keep talking about it to other people and say oh my god have you read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron like you have you have to read it as it turns out with that particular book lots lots of people I know have started it and not finished it. Okay you're gonna have to explain what this book is now because I've not I've not come across this one so please tell us more what is The Artist's Way? So it's it builds itself as being about unlocking or unblocking your creativity. I wouldn't say it's exclusively about that. I think it's to do with kind of unblocking your own personal barriers in your head as to why you're not feeling brave enough or in, that you have permission to do certain things. So she she grounds it in a sort of artist context of like we're told as kids that like, yeah, sure, draw nice pictures, but like artists are poor and like, you shouldn't do that because that's bad. There's loads of things that we're told when we're little that kind of inform these like quite absolute ways of viewing the world. So it's kind of going back in your like a sort of mind's eye, working out well, which one of those 
are true and which ones actually matter in my life and you know which things have I held on to unnecessarily helping you kind of switch up your thinking and worry less about being judged and then going and acting on the things that you really want so yeah, it doesn't have to be exclusively about creativity or being an artist because I would not consider myself an artist in any shape or form but I did find it really good for just discovering the things that I really want and getting off my ass and doing them that's good so it's a bit of a kicker definitely okay all right I'm I'm going to investigate this book further because I I Sometimes I need a kicker. So talking about getting off your ass and doing something <laughs> in terms of, you know, making something new happen, you already kind of hinted earlier and we did hint at the very beginning that you have recently started a podcast. Yeah, I recently started PowerSuit Podcast, which is more or less the same theme as PowerSuit Social, but with a slightly shifted theme, which is around how do we stay employable in the creative industries when the goalposts keep moving? So that is very similar to what I'm trying to answer with the events, but it also gives the opportunity to be a bit more, you know, have p- podcasts are more intimate and more they're more personal in, term- in terms of the types of things that people will reveal versus speaking on a panel in front of how many people. So that's been really exciting so far. Another massive learning curve, to be honest. And that was also something I'd put off for months because I wasn't feeling brave enough. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, to be honest, it was partly the admin side of it, of like, do I know any studios when I can record that? Or should I record it at home? Do I want to invite random, interesting people from the internet into my home to record a podcast? <laughs> so, yeah, the, one of the first topics we've covered is running a, side hustle, running a side hustle alongside your day job. Also looking at how to start your own ad agency, if anyone's feeling brave enough to do that. Very cool. Okay. And But also things like getting representation if you're a sort of photographer, illustrator, other creator. Again, I, I wouldn't put myself in that bucket, but I find that sort of thing amazingly interesting. As I, like, I love understanding other people's working worlds like that. Mm-hmm. And it's really been to supplement the events themselves is that kind of what content can people actually take away and digest at a point that they want to. Um, so, yeah, giving people the opportunity to interact with the PowerSuit social brand at a time that's actually convenient to them. Because what I've found is that a lot of people don't really want to come to what they see as networking events because they see networking as a dirty word. And so uh, they might find the content of what's being discussed interesting, but still not really feeling like coming along in real life to, to do it, mm-hmm. which is which is fair enough. So there's like, a lot of people that I've say spoken to about the idea and they say, that sounds really cool. But they say, like, have you got any blog posts or videos about it or podcasts or, you know, something that they can like they can have ownership of in their own way and <laughs> maybe in their like silent own place yeah it's one of the hardest things we've always had this with geek girl as well you you think about the event and geek girl i think is a little bit different in that most people kind of do want to do the networking thing because it's, it's always been a big part of the events from the very beginning it's about you know building that network of women but one of the hardest things for us has always been what you do with the content mm. afterwards. Because you hear some amazing speeches, but, you know, we're not necessarily set up because it's a side hustle again, right? Yeah. It's the the amount of time commitment that you can really give these things and then finding the slightly easier routes in which you can make things available, which is why, again, I love podcasting. <laughs> I'm the same. There's been probably been about one or two emails per event that I've done where someone said, are you recording this? Like, you know, a video recording. 
because I'd love to watch this later because I can't make the event. And I'm like, oh, I don't actually have time to make that happen. Because, yeah. you know, it's kind of at an expense to to me. And I, I can't know that there'll be like enough appetite for actually sort of watching the video afterwards that it's worth going through with it. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's lazy on my part, but I just think podcasts are a little bit different. They are a bit more timeless in that respect. So um, it can be, yeah, very much a sort of standalone thing. Whereas I think recording an event, whether that's just sort of say audio recording a panel or video recording it, that, yeah, has more, it's more pinned to a certain place in time. And so it can age much more quickly and kind of people will be less interested three weeks after the event. Like, oh, well, that was that thing back in March. So nobody cares. It is tricky. The only only loophole that we've ever found around it, and even then it's a total experiment, just to kind of give you an idea on people watching, is if you can get someone to just Facebook live it or or you know, live stream it on any kind of channel and just be set up with a little tiny tripod and their whatever mobile phone they're rocking at the time. Smartphone, yeah. sorry. No, that's true. I just need I to be honest, I need to kind of get more organised in terms of how I run the events I, but that's the tricky thing like it, it, we do this every single time it's we need to get more organized but ultimately that's the it's the balance of having a side hustle you have all intention and you have all passion and you will yes 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 but sometimes there are things that just don't come to pass until maybe the third time after you said that thing the first time and it, it's just because you're you're trying to fire off on all cylinders all at once and you can only do so much which is why priority is key Exactly. So I think I should have got my priorities the wrong way around until fairly recently, which is that I was spending all my time podcasting. It was partly that I wasn't brave enough to do it and partly that I believed I didn't have enough time. But actually, obviously, creating content about an event is going to drive signups anyway. So it it will it saves me time on, say, selling tickets if I have this ready made content. So I should have been doing it that way around from the start. Which, you know, sort of almost like using it as the lure to come to the events, and yeah, not it being an afterthought as to kind of, oh my god, is that something I have time to do? Because it's it definitely saving my time. Yeah, I it's one of the the massive learning curves that we all uh, have to go through when we're working on these things. For those that are listening and want to uh, nip on over to a different podcast, <laughs> where can they find the podcast? It's called Powersuit Podcast. So if you just go to powersuitsocial.com, you can find it really easily. Perfect. And for anyone listening who wants to get in touch with you directly and has maybe sat there going, you know what? I think I would be really good to talk about the creative industries and the challenges that it's facing. And I should definitely jump on Lauren's podcast. <laughs> you can actually message me directly on, on Instagram. I've found that's been a really helpful way of getting in touch with people like, you know, speakers, brand partners, anybody messaged on Instagram. So message me, whether it's like my personal instagram which is powersuit lauren or on the at powersuit social handle that's the best way to get in touch directly i would say that depends kind of what you want out of the interaction as to which platform's best to follow so on instagram it's all kind of mad 1980s power dressers and things like that so it's more like a sort of inspiration angle and then like a little bit about when the events are and then twitter is much more but probably more inf informative and less fewer shoulder pads so it's things like cool job opportunities that I've been sharing from places like The Dots and sort of, yeah, tweeting sort of recommended articles and things like that. So if you want the kind of the hardcore stuff, Twitter, at Pulsive Social as well. And otherwise there's the newsletter. So I've been sort of sharing the kind of best of articles to read, things that we've been sharing ourselves, as, you know, 
blog or articles, things like that. And our favourite articles of the month, as well as kind of when the events are and who's speaking and why you should be involved, I suppose. Perfect. And if someone wants to follow you, specifically you on Twitter, where do they find you? I don't like saying it out loud. Cause <laughs> I love it when you say it out loud because I think you've got such a great Twitter handle. You should just take full ownership of it. <laughs> it's at fake bananas. I mean, it's memorable. <laughs> I think that you know, memorable is good. That's because uh, I don't really anymore, but I did used to genuinely collect fake bananas, which is why that was how I decided to sort of build my personal brand. Why fake bananas? It started off buying one for a friend when I was abroad, just as a bit of a joke, just in this weird little shop in Paris. And then just every time I went travelling, I'd always find places that sell them. And I was thinking, who else is buying fake bananas <laughs> other than me? And so I just kind of made it my little, oh yeah, that's my niche. That's what I'm good at, is uh, collecting fake bananas I, in random places around the world. I didn't I didn't even know that you could get that many different fake bananas in that many different places around the world. I've got about 20, maybe 25. Jeez, wow, okay. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be, I feel like this will be a thing now. Every time I'm going to go away now, I'm going to keep an eye out for the fake bananas. People people have sometimes brought me them back from other places. Or like, I was quite accusatory the other day with a friend. I saw that she had a string of fake bananas over her fireplace. And I said, oh, where did you get those? She said, oh, they were a present from a friend. I'm like, why are you being bought fake bananas? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, someone will have to find you a string of fake bananas and get them over to you pronto. <laughs> On that note, Lauren, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast today. It's been really fun. Good. I'm glad you didn't, you've enjoyed it. And it's been really interesting to hear more about Power Suit Social in particular and, um, and everything that you're doing with the podcast. So to you, listener, do whiz on over to somewhere else on iTunes or over to the website that Lauren mentioned earlier in order to go and find out more and give her some listens. On that note, we are recording live from Runway East, which by now you may know or you may not know is right by the Old Street roundabout. Now, Runway East provide spaces from one desk up all the way to 100 for many people within the digital startup creative tech space here in East London. They have three spaces, one in Moorgate just down the road from where we are now. We're currently in Featherstone Street and they also have one right around the corner here in Shoreditch. If you are in London and you're looking for space, then do go and check them out. Head over to the website, which is runwayea.st to find out more information about them. And if you decide to go ahead, then you can use the code GeekGirlMeets at checkout in order to get yourself a cheeky little discount. On that note, until next week, bye. You can follow Geek Girl on Twitter at GGMUK, sign up to our newsletter on the website at geekgirlmeetup.co.uk and you can like our Facebook page, Geek Girl Meetup UK.